Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm the Phantom of the Grand Old Opry. I'm Shane Blinker Fluid Britain. Blinker Fluid. <laughs> okay. Spark plug. Uh-huh. Blinker Fluid. I love it. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Welcome to episode 141, Royal Rumble 1995. 30 men. One winner. Something's gotta give. What's gotta give? The top rope, the turnbuckle. Uh, uh yeah. The, my patience. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll find out as we yeah, go. Yeah. <laughs> give these guys a. Some, I mean, I mean, give these guys a chance. Someone's gotta give these guys a chance. This is the eighth Royal Rumble. Produced by the WWF, it was held on January 22nd, 1995 at the South Florida Sundome in Tampa, Florida. It's a day after my birthday. Hey, your birthday's the same day as my nephew Dustin's. Oh, I've said that before. I, yeah, we, you know, what up Dustin? <laughs> With an attendance of 10,000 people. Hey. And a buy rate of 225,000 people. It's one of those few shows where they have the buy rate on the on the Wikipedia. Oh, so I like, look at you checking all the, de- the uh, details. I write, you know, I, I write down my little notes at the top from the thing. I gotta get that tagline. <laughs> <laughs> but we're back in Tampa. Yeah, we are. We've been in Tampa, been in Tampa, right? Yeah, we we've been in Tampa. Yeah, I said back, so I assumed we had been. I think but... we've been there. Yeah, Tampa, Florida, back again. <laughs> You just wait till next week. (laughs) Yeah, you know. I mean, we're gonna get that joke in. Be it. Always do. Uh huh. Always do. Be it like a dead horse. Woo! So, what deliciousness did you bring us this week? Well, I looked up my my uh, typical search methods for you know where we do our shows. What's the signature sandwich? What's the cocktail? And. Tampa loves their Cubans, and we've we've had a Cuban here recently, so I figured we'd skip that one, and it's time for some booze. So I looked at the official signature cocktail of Tampa, and this year they had a, uh, a decision to make. They had two popular cocktails that they had, I guess, well, I guess they, had, they set out to have bartenders across the town, or across the city, come up with a cocktail had this big boating thing and they came down to these final two and I believe this is the one that was the winner but it still shows me that these two so maybe it was a tie and they just couldn't decide so you have a daytime and a nighttime cocktail or something. This one is known as the 6am on 7th Avenue. It's kind of a play on a white Russian in a way. Some Bacardi, uh, a coffee liqueur, a little Grand Marnier and some cream. Garnished with a little orange zest and what called for uh, shavings of an espresso bean, but I didn't want to go buy a bag of espresso beans, so I just grabbed some uh, instant coffee and sprinkled a little bit on top just for some yeah. flair. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah. What's the espresso bean really going to do? It's the, it's the orange zest is always going to overpower. Exactly. But yeah, 
pretty tasty. I'm uh, I'm not mad. I've I've actually got two of them now because while Matthew, he's not a coffee man. Was a, a fan am, of the I first am, initial taste. I am he did not, not a want coffee the entire. man. No, I'm not no. a coffee man. So I knew I knew right away that this was not going to be my kind of drink. <laughs> yeah, the, the interesting thing about it is like, oh, it kind of tastes like a white Russian, and then you like don't taste the orange as much as you smell the zest. Which the orange and coffee is uh, an interesting combo. Yeah, for sure. Honestly, the first Starbucks drink that I had, it was an orange cappuccino or something like that, and it was the most disgusting thing ever. It sounds awful. I wasn't a huge coffee drinker at the time. Did not like orange flavored stuff unless it was like orange juice. Some so, yeah, did you California what Florida kind of style. Was it? it was some kind of an orange coffee was it, was thing it from an Starbucks. Orange mocha frappuccino. It could very well be. That's the drink they order in Zoolander. Oh, really? That's funny. <laughs> like, I don't know. I was in Vegas, so I thought, I'm going to go go big because I'm in Vegas. So yeah. we'll try Starbucks for the first time. And it was not good. But uh, this, they, they say it's a play on uh, Cafe Con Leche. I don't know. I dig it. It ain't half bad. Um, uh-uh. I'm not a huge Starbucks guy. I like coffee, but I normally just make coffee at home and drink it black. But as much as I do enjoy the uh, PSL, Pumpkin Spice Latte, we're working into fall at the moment. The Starbucks eggnog latte is fucking where the shit it's at. I don't know if I've had that one. I highly suggest it. When it drops another 15 degrees, uh, get you one. And uh, I assume you'll thank me, but maybe not. I like their uh, nitro cold brew with sweet cream. Mm. Their, Their cold brew there is... Very smooth, especially with that sweet cream. It, it tones it down a lot and adds a nice little pinch yeah. flavor. Yeah. And that was coffee talk. That's right. Coffee talk. Completely over my head. <laughs> so we'll talk about something that I know a little bit more about. The beginning of the proliferation of television channels would start as the History Channel, the Golf Channel, WB and UPN would all launch... Within the first couple weeks of 1995. Right, the uh, WWB? Yes. D- yeah, with the, the with little the frog. frog. <laughs> yeah, WB, but UPN. All-star of, like, sitcoms that just existed and are forgotten. Yes. I loved U- new UPN shows as a kid. UPN Made it great picked in- up where Fox had left off when Fox was that new channel. Cause yeah, because, like, that's where you get, like, what, like, the Waynes Brothers show? Yep. Uh, Homeboys in Outer Space, a show I talk about all the time and people don't believe that it exists, <laughs> and I have to look up images and be like, look it, and it's, it was Homeboys in Outer Space, and it was two black dudes in outer Isn't space. That Damon, or Robert Townsend, wasn't that? I don't think it was Robert Townsend. That's Meteor Man, which is a movie that's near and dear to my heart. Yeah. He may, I don't think he was on the show. Okay. I don't but th- he may have been a producer or something. Up and there. see, when you say that, I keep thinking Homeboys in Outer Space was like a skit on In Living Color. It sounds like it may, it may have been a, <laughs> it may have been a, oh shoot, who knows. And then... PJ's was a later one that I also liked quite a bit. I forgot about that one. Yeah, UPN, man. Shit goes deep. I need a, a, a UPN sitcom channel. There was that one that was also the late 90s, early 2000s that had Gary Busey's son on it that was bad. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was um, a weird show. Where they like lived in a loft. What the hell was that one called? Who knows, man. I remember Jake Busey. But... I saw UPN and I got crazy. Oh, and then you had the WB... With uh, old Dawson dropping, or wait, that was WB, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah Do- okay. uh, Dawson's Creek and um, 
uh, what was the character? Yeah, Felicity. I was like, what was the character Russell Jones? Felicity. Yeah. You got my back. Uh, Seventh Heaven, I believe. My mom was a big Seventh Heaven fan. I couldn't do Seventh Heaven. It was too... Saccharin? Yeah. Well, I mean... Thank you. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> you call it saccharin. I call it cream cheese. Yeah, we... Um, my mom... Or no, my dad and my sister and I would make fun of my mom for uh, liking Seventh Heaven so much. I have not broke the news to her that the the lead is, uh, a pedophile yeah. I believe convicted it's it's not one of those like jokes where people are like is Tom Hanks, Hanks a pedophile yeah. it's not like that no this guy is he's yeah it's like the real deal yeah it's like it's legit like the redhead dude from uh, I can't remember his name great actor but uh, yeah, obviously the, the guy from Ferris Beetlejuice Bueller. and yeah and yeah, yeah from Beetlejuice and Ferris Bueller and I would Howard the Duck yes it's a real shame yep but, you know, at least Seventh Heaven was always bad. <laughs> yeah, if it That's wasn't for Seventh Heaven... Sorry for taking over with Justin the UPN Bieber, Justin Bieber, Bieber. wow. If, hey, if this, Jessica uh, Bill hadn't been on that show, I don't think most people would have watched I it. mean, she's the one that had a career afterwards. I didn't watch her on that show, but I really loved when... She I didn't go on. Jessica Biel forever, had a like blip in Hollywood. She was like in the Chainsaw reboot and... When uh, uh, some she other was things. in... Rules of Attraction. I never saw Rules yeah. of Attraction, and I it's always good. really. I I will probably watch it. I've meant you didn't like it. Really, I've heard good things, but it's also see, I liked it just because of how they did it, like where they would connect the stories, and then you'd start somewhere, and then it would rewind to show you what happened there. The best part of it for me, though, because I hated Seventh Heaven so much, was that I got to watch. Just Beale get punched in the face. It's <laughs> like I love this movie just Spoiler. for that spot right there. Uh, I I will say that um, Shane and I appreciate a little bit more of weirdo shit than Matt does, and I know Rules of Attraction is based off of a Brady Sinellis book, so it's probably some weirdo shit. That's the problem. Is I love Brady Sinellis. Oh really? I'd read the book. And oh I'd, okay. But, I never read the the, book. Mo- the movie is yeah. Shit. I can handle I love American American Psycho is like one of my favorite movies. Yeah, but I tried to read the American Psycho book and I had to put it down and I was like, I'll get back to this, but I couldn't even pick it back up because it was so it's it's just so disgusting. Like I have a pretty strong stomach for stuff, but it really grossed me out. I mean, believe me, it's one of the weirder things that I probably like. Yeah, it is weird that you said you like that because I think American Psycho is like I didn't even finish it, it was so disgusting, and I've seen and read some disgusting shit. Some, yeah, some unsavory things. Some shit and piss. Some shit and piss. But anyway, we've digressed. Well, let's talk about the Royal Rumble, and hopefully it's not shit and piss. <laughs> we see a limo arrive to the back of the arena. And many doinks there. Dink, Dink is Sorry. very excited. For good reason. Why Pamela, are so excited, everybody? Pamela Anderson emerges from the car with the entire yeah. locker room. Very happy to see her. Yeah, Auga tongue rolls out, yeah. eyes go out. But I mean, Pamela Anderson in '95, I was like, "Fuck!" I forgot how hot, truly hot she was. She was agreed, incredible. We and then Dink was really excited because he was short enough to see up her long skirt. <laughs> I'm that's right, Dink. I'm accusing you. We didn't, <laughs> yeah. we didn't cut to the logo of the show, and Vince McMahon welcomes us. And he's joined by Jerry the King Lawler on commentary, where they preview the matches that are going to be happening. I love that she pulls in limo shot, comes out of the limo. All the wrestlers are like, Pamela, Pamela, Pamela. And she just 
straight out of the limo in the parking lot goes into a room that is supposed to be her dressing room that's like <laughs> off the parking lot and i'm like guys come on she just, it just needed to be a hallway like, well, i mean because you know where she's t- where they're taking her we can't believe that this is where her she's dressing room watch but she's a former tool, former tool time Alum. girl so yeah. yeah she she was on home improvement she just she's used to yeah garage yeah they had a monitor back there rooms. while she was making uh, some custom cabinets yeah Absolutely. But we head straight to our first batch. Double J, Jeff Jarrett, with the roadie versus Razor Ramon for the WWF Intercontinental Championship. Uh, Razor obviously being the champ. And I really appreciated that Jeff Jarrett as the challenger, they showed his height and weight. He's billed at 6'1", 230. Seems like a... Seemed pretty big. Yeah, I mean, but it's also one of those things where Razor is so big, everyone looks small. But they didn't show Razor's height or weight. Uh, but I was like, oh, that's cool that they kind of were starting to show height and weight. I like that. He's not just a little fellow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is back during the uh, the beefcake days of wrestlers wanting to have mass instead of being all lean and cut. So Yeah, and Jeff Jarrett, he's got his light-up glasses. Mm-hmm. It's going. It's going. The roadie, or... Better known as Road Dog, Jesse James, is a WWE Hall of Famer. Oh, you didn't know? Yeah, that's call call somebody. That's that promo every time. Mm-hmm. So, so good. So the match gets going, and Razor is rocking Jarrett with right hands to begin. He whips Double J to the corner, only for him to leap up and over a charge, slapping the bad guy and trying for a crossbody, which Ramon catches. He then delivers a fallaway slam and a choke slam to send Jarrett out to the floor to regroup. He takes powder. He's got Rhodey's got the towel. He's got the water. You know. Mm-hmm. Back in, Double J celebrates after multiple arm drags while Vince talks about <sighs> his burgeoning country music career. Oh yeah, he's just he's just dipping his toe in the wrestling world. What he really wants to be is a country singer. I mean, you know, Nashville. He's, yeah, he's uh, well, he's got the look. Maybe not the weird jumpsuit, but I love how Jerry Lawler is dogging on people from Nashville. I mean, I know he's from Memphis, and I'm sure there's a Memphis Nashville kind of like Oklahoma City, Tulsa, you know, where my yeah, town's yeah. better than yours. It's like every just a bunch of inbreeders. Blah, most blah, blah, blah. yeah, most crummy states have two places that are worth living: yeah. Memphis and Nashville, yeah. Tulsa, Oklahoma City. Nebraska was Lincoln and Omaha. There you so. go. Yeah, it's like it's just a thing. Woo. Yeah, we don't all get to be uh, California. Like we don't all have just wonderful, beautiful places we can live. But no, I was as I was listening to that, all I could think of was, dude, that's like two hours away. Like, it's same people. But you hear? I mean, you know, like Dallas and Fort Worth hate each other. So, and they're right. They're the same place, as far as I'm concerned. True. Razor takes over to work the arm, only for Jarrett to escape with a drop toe hold and paintbrushes the bad guy to embarrass him. Oh, yeah, he messes up that hair. He did not like that. Ramon turns the table to hit a clothesline to send Double J over the ropes to the floor. Back in the ring, Razor with a knuckle lock, and he returns the paintbrushes while continuing to work the arm. McMahon tells us that Lawrence Taylor is here as a guest of Diesel. LT, LT. As Jarrett hits several drop kicks a body guillotine, and a clothesline for a two-count. Jared's fucking doing some doing some things. Mm-hmm. Double J starts whipping the bad guy from post to post, and he goes to kick the dazed Ramon. 
but his foot is caught, so he tries an Insiguri, only for Razor to duck, and follows up by missing an elbow drop, allowing Jarrett to apply a chin lock. I love that spot. Razor escapes, and the two men fight over a hip toss, which is then countered into a backslide by the bad guy for a two count, followed by a clothesline by Double J for a near fall. And the amount of times that Vince McMahon has already said Double J in this show, it just started making my skin crawl after a while. <laughs> it was like, just call him Jeff. Just call yeah. him Jeff Jarrett. Double Stop J. saying Double J all the time. I don't mean that because you wrote Double J, but... Yeah. That's what I was saying Flashback. to myself as I was watching that damn show. Was, Stop it. Ramon reverses an Irish whip, only to telegraph the back body drop, allowing Jarrett to go for a sunset flip. But Razor stays up and punches down before dropping his knees on the shoulders for a two-count. But he's then pulled over by Double J for a two-count of his own. Another great spot. This match is just fucking firing. Yep. Another drop kick and another near fall for Jarrett, before locking on a sleeper. But the bad guy tosses Double J off to the ropes, only for him to come back with a swinging neckbreaker for multiple two-counts with leverage until the ref sees it. Ramon sends Jarrett to a corner where he tries for a big boot, only for Razor to slide out to the floor, tripping Double J up and crotching him on the ring post. Not the, not the uh, double R's. The bad guy. <laughs> no, I guess T's. They're testicles. Double T's. <laughs> the bad guy comes off the second rope with a clothesline for a near fall, and he starts to wind up and charge at Jarrett, who only sidesteps and tosses Ramon over to the floor. As he attempts to get back into the ring, the roadie then comes from behind to clip the knee, forcing the countout. So Double J is your winner, but... Record scratch? He wants the match to continue, because he realizes he can't win the title that way. Yeah, I know, and he's all—he's like, well, I mean, he just blew his knee out, so I've got a upper hand, and I've been putting in some work on this man. Because as soon as it was over, I was like, okay, like... That was really good and a nice way to heat up Jarrett, but there's more. Mm-hmm. Jarrett starts calling Razor Chicken as he's walking back to the locker room. But that convinces Ramon that he needs to come back. Yeah, fuck this asshole. That's right. So the bad guy rushes back to the ring and he rolls up Double J for a two count. Jarrett then starts kicking away at the bum knee, only for Ramon to cradle him up for a near fall. I think Rush might be... A strong word because Razor is doing an incredible job of selling this leg. He's really selling it. More leg work from Double J before connecting with an atomic drop and ramming the knee into the canvas. He continues to work the leg until the bad guy is finally able to kick Jarrett out to the floor. Double J finally rolls back in and locks on the figure four in the <sighs> middle of the ring. Guys, this is good. With Razor trying to turn it over, but he finally escapes with some right hands. He's, he's got the height and reach. It's like, just got to lean up a little bit. The ref yep. makes sure to keep him honest. You get like a two count on the back. It's good. Take that swing. Ramon starts to fire up with more right hands once they're back to their feet. He ducks a clothesline and sets Jarrett up on the turnbuckles, going for a super back suplex, only for Double J to land on top. But the bad guy then rolls it over. But the bad guy then rolls it over to be on top for the pin and no Jarrett kicks out I mean he's got the the weight advantage but Jarrett's fresher man 
Razor lays out Double J with a clothesline, but he's slow to get back to his feet. He signals for the end, but his knee gives out on the Razor's edge, allowing Jarrett to cradle him up for the pin and the win. And new! Double J, I see. I mean, come on, guys. That was fucking great. Pretty dang good match. I mean, it's, it's prime... Like, WWF's gonna WWF, but when they WWF correctly, it's great. And they just WWF correctly. You know what I mean? Like, it makes sense, right? Yeah. <laughs> it totally makes sense. Yeah, and like, Jared's great here. Razor sold the leg so well. I was very impressed. Yeah, this was prime Razor here. He was I fucking, mean, yeah, hell Jared of, too. Yeah, hell of a way to fucking start a show. Yep. We go to the back, and we're joined by Stephanie Wind. Mm. Her again. Oh, I, I thought it was Lions. I was like, who is this lady? Mm. I don't know. She's she's cute. She's got some, uh, like... She's got some very 90s hair. Yeah, she's got, like, um, like she was, third grade teacher vibes. She was Todd Pettengill's co-host on, like, uh-huh. the Saturday morning mm. like re- New York recap show. shows. Oh, okay. Yeah, same personality. That makes sense. She's waiting for Double J to make his way to the back, but while we're waiting... Let's cut to Todd in Pamela Anderson's locker room. Oh, Pam has been just spoiled by these wrestlers. Yeah, she's flanked by gifts from all the superstars, such as a shrunken head, a can of sardines. From the Bushwhackers. Oh, those Bushwhackers. A stuffed dog. Oh, that's the cutest one. A stuffed old bulldog from, from Davey. A piggy bank. From one of the Godwins, I believe. A t-shirt from Lex Luger. Oh, of course. She's going to wear that to bed. And a framed picture of Shawn Michaels. I mean, you know, if she was going to have her pick of the litter, you'd assume she'd pick somebody as handsome as Shawn Michaels. Oh, yeah. Sexy girl needs a sexy boy. Mm-hmm. Todd then asks her if she likes his gift, and she puts her Baywatch acting skills to the test. <laughs> so good. But Pettengill does save it by offering a piece of candy before sending it back to Stephanie. Yeah, he's like, I sent you a like wreath of roses in a heart shape, and she just has like one broken rose. She's like, oh, yeah, I got yeah. it. Like, he tries to hand her candy, and she's like, I don't even like yeah. to touch the stuff. Yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> like, have you seen me? I'm not, I'm not out here eating Werther's Originals, brother. You better come with a uh, Toblerone if you're going to even try to test me. <laughs> she likes her candy. I don't know. Yeah, no, her, she likes her nose candy. There you go. I mean, we don't know that to be true, but she was in a long relationship with... Tommy Lee and Kid Rock. Tommy Lee. Oh, yeah, I forgot. <laughs> she marries him, like, the next month after God the show. damn Kid Rock. At least Tommy Lee is, like, a cool rock star. Kid Rock was never cool. Here to tell you guys. Break the news. He married her to be cool, and then he ruined her. <sighs> <laughs> Anywho... But we're back with Stephanie, and she's there with Jarrett and the roadie. But Double J, he says he doesn't have time for interviews because he's on his way to celebrate. Ain't I great, he says. And I would agree. I'd agree. He's pretty great. So we go to our second match. Erwin R. Scheister with the million-dollar man Ted DiBiase versus The Undertaker with Paul Bearer. The tax man versus the dead man. We've been waiting on this since Survivor Series. <laughs> the uh, yeah, of course. You know, he calls everybody a bunch of tax cheats uh, because the most evil thing to millionaire like Vince McMahon is the Paying government taxes. taking your money. So IRS is standing on the apron while Taker stares a hole into him. 
But once he turns around, Shyster runs in and delivers a dropkick, which is no salt. So IRS bails out to the floor. Shyster begins to stalk bearers, so this dead man rolls out to the floor, forcing IRS back into the ring. Shyster starts pounding away on Taker to no avail when Undertaker hits a big boot. Multiple turnbuckle smashes by Undertaker before tossing IRS by his tie all around the ring. Ah, the tie toss. The dead man hits old school when DiBiase jumps on the apron, distracting Taker, allowing Shyster to attack from behind, but Undertaker sidesteps, causing the Money Inc. partners to collide. The dead man then clotheslines IRS out to the floor, where the former Money Inc. partners have words. So Million Dollar Man calls down the Druids. Ooh. Uh, and I'm like, who are the Druids? Is one of them X-Pac? Is one of them Kane? <laughs> no. I have a question before I tell you who the Druids are. Can you tell me any story behind why he's calling down Druids? I'm trying to remember that. Um, was it not on, like, when they... I feel like we've seen Druids before. Well, Undertaker usually has Druids bringing out the casket. Yeah. But why is Million Dollar Man... Because everybody has a price, so he... Right, the Druids, uh, I'm sure. Touche. Yeah, this was, this was my senior year in high school, so I don't remember a lot of, lot of it. But yeah, that's that, actually that'd a, be my guess. That's actually a good explanation. Yeah. I like it. Right. We're going to go with it. <laughs> We're going to go with it. So the two Druids that do come down, one of them is Jimmy Del Rey. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to one. figure out who that was. I thought maybe it was one, two, three. But. The other one is one of the Blue Brothers. Mm. Yeah. And you're like, who are the Blue Brothers? Still don't know. It's either Don or Ron Harris, a.k.a. the Bruise Brothers from ECW. Jacob and Eli. Oh, cool. I uh, wrote their names down later in the show. (laughs) And we haven't seen whichever one it is, because I don't know which one it is, since Hostile City Showdown, 1994, episode 122. And see, back then, I think you wanted them to go by the, the Blues Brothers or something like that, so I think they now have the same names as the Blues Brothers... Even though they were formerly the Bruce Brothers. Yeah, Jacob, Jake, and... Eli. I don't know, yeah. I, don't I mean, remember. their matches are probably equivalent to a Blues Brothers car crash. I can see that. A movie famous for having lots of wrecked cars. <laughs> That's my joke. Delray Druid jumps on the ring, attracting Taker's attention, allowing Shyster to dropkick him from behind. But it's no sold once more, and The Undertaker goes for old school again. But Delray Druid shakes the ropes to drop the dead man down to the mat. But what does he do? He sits up. He does indeed. IRS hits a clothesline out of nowhere to send Taker out to the floor. But he lands on his feet and immediately grabs both Druids by the throat. Yeah, he like 360 to the feet, but doesn't even miss a, a second and just chokes these men. It's pretty good Taker. But Shyster then comes off the apron with a double axe handle to save them and sending The Undertaker into the still steps. The druids then work over the dead man before rolling him in for a patented IRS ab stretch with leverage. Oh, how I miss a good ab stretch. They just don't see those these days. But Taker escapes and slams Shyster down, but misses an elbow drop. I love Vince McMahon says, his, guy, his, got the, his blood is ice water and formaldehyde. And Jerry Lawrence says, Paul Bearer's blood type is Ragu, <laughs> which is really good. Really good fat joke. IRS with a leaping clothesline drops a series of elbows and a leg drop before missing a splash. 
The two men are running the ropes, and they bump heads for a double KO, which leads a druid to roll in to place Shyster on top for a two count. But Undertaker's back up, and he grabs the blue druid by the throat on the apron, allowing IRS to attack from behind again. But the dead man moves, sending Shyster into the druid. The dead man then picks up IRS for the tombstone piledriver, but the druids keep jumping on the apron, forcing Taker to dispense of them with kicks. He just, like, kicks them both in the nuts. <laughs> I mean, you know, he's it's uh, formaldehyde. Yeah, he's I mean, rigor mortis is set in. He doesn't have quite the big boot. He's got old Irwin held mm-hmm. up there, so I guess that's yeah. all he can really do. It is, is uh, It's an undead kick, not a super kick. <laughs> Messing with the druids allows Shyster to squirm his way free and then hit a leaping clothesline. But the Undertaker raises up. Grabbing Shyster for a chokeslam. For the pin. And, and the, the win. win. It's nice after the Irwin does the clothesline. We get the, the urn cam and the stomps from the crowd. And then, of course, Taker does his thing and gets the one, two, three. No one thought Irwin was winning. But we may have had our confidence shaken because I don't think people thought Jeff Jarrett was going to win. Possibly. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, sure. you know, it's, it's booked pretty well, I'd say. Yeah. Post-match... The lights go out, and the dead man poses. Lights out, music up. Until the druids attack again. Only for Taker to lay them out with choke slams and clotheslines. But oh shit! King Kong Bundy makes his way to the ring. Getting in the Undertaker's face, while IRS pops Paul Bearer and steals the urn. Son of a bitch. Oh, poor poor Percy, Percy Pringle taking a bump. We don't want to see it. He's as, he's as big at this point in time as Paul Heyman is now in 2021. <laughs> Paul Heyman hasn't taken a bump since 1994. Are you talking popularity or size? Size. Okay. Size. <laughs> the dead man starts to go after Shyster, which allows Bundy to attack, hitting an avalanche splash, several elbow drops, and another splash. I had to note, or I couldn't help but notice, uh, Bundy, when he splashes the Undertaker, it's like he's splashing one of the uh, little people because he does not really land at all. He he's, has. He's very well protected. He's or protective. Of Taker, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he is a giant man. Mm-hmm. But standing next to Taker, King Kong Bundy no longer looks as big and bad as he used to in the WrestleMania 2, WrestleMania 3 days. Yeah, I mean, Taker is much taller, but Bundy has. He's gone to the Yoko fat camp. The one where you go to lose weight and gain weight. And see, I always thought he looked slimmer. You thought he looked slimmer? Yeah. Okay. Maybe he just looked older. Yeah, he just didn't look as big and bad as he he used to back in the day. And that just could be because I'm used to seeing him standing across from either Hulk Hogan or Hillbilly Jim. And now he's standing against The Undertaker, who he actually has to look up to. Yeah. I would love... Like... King Kong Bundy, it's King Kong Bundy, but I would love for King Kong Bundy to just come out here and just like, just put up his hand, five, like <laughs> one, two, three, four, five with his hand, and then take out Taker, but you know, obviously we're not taking out Taker. Nobody takes out The Undertaker for a long time. Vincent sends us to a video from earlier in the night, and we see Pettengill there with Diesel, but Big Daddy Cool doesn't want to talk about his match. It's an important match, and he's trying to focus. Mm-hmm. We then see Todd with Bret Hart in his locker room, and the hitman says, 
What's there to talk about? I just want my title back. Oh, yeah. He says, all I've thought about is winning it back. He's like, I like Diesel, but all I've thought about is like, yeah. It's like, yeah. And then he just says if a bunch and says, I gotta think. So we head to our third match. Brett, the Hitman Hart, versus Big Daddy Cool Diesel for the WWF Championship. Diesel gives Lawrence Taylor a hug on his way to the ring. Oh, my god! Because they're buddies. I know. And, uh, you know, both these guys get pyro. Brett gets uh, pyro. Diesel gets buck pyro. Like, cane pyro from the... Diesel from gets Ux. the... Uh, Sparkles. Out no, of the Diesel gets the, uh, stone gold, the stone cold broken glass in his entrance, too. Does he? Yeah. I did not catch that. Yeah. The glass shatters as he walks... Damn. Right, and then it goes honk, <laughs> honk, honk. It's got the truck coming up on the the, the screen, screen there, yeah. and then yeah, it I think that, smashes a glass and he walks through. I think that the production of this show is like WWF always has good production. Right, right. Specifically, they they seem to focus a lot, start the year off big and bright. Yeah, and, and this one really does. Like the camera work is really really good. Like Bret Hart, even they turn the lights down and do the pink lights, and he gets pyro and like. Diesel's getting pyro, and it's like they're really going all out. It's uh, really, really nice looking chapter. Oh, yeah. So Vince mentions that Big Daddy Cool has won all three belts in a single year, meaning IC, tag team, and heavyweight. At the time, he was the only one to ever do it in a single year. But there have been two other Triple Crown champions at the time. Bret Hart. Yes, who took... A long time to get it done. And Pedro Morales, who took even longer, because he like won the first two belts like in the seventies, and then didn't win the tag team belt until like like late eighties. Yep. The only other two people that I could find, and I may be completely wrong, but because it was quick research, but Austin and CM Punk have also won all three belts in a single year. In a single year. I'm trying to remember. And I think one of them actually won. All three of them twice in a single year, which I assume is probably Austin because, like, literally Austin just moved up and down the. Yeah, it was like whenever to it, belt to belt. Yeah, you know, when he yeah when he needed to take a vacation or had to, uh, to go deal with his knee, he comes back and gets right back up there. Say so maybe Punk too, because when I mean when when his rocket finally hit, I mean he he won the Money in the Bank. Yeah, he won the belt. I want to say he'd been a tag team champion with Straight Edge Society, Kofi. assuming. The only other one I could think of would be, and I don't, it may not be Kurt Angle, because he he had won the Intercontinental. I don't think he European and the World Championship, but I don't think he got the tag team. Yeah, yeah. and the European was just a thing they did for a little while. Yeah, just the the three main belts are yeah. the yeah. ones that. The European is like a like attitude era to like. It's just it only really exists in the Attitude Era, yeah. and you, it only really exists for Neil Brown. Extra right? ones, then you're considered a Grand Slam champion. Yeah. But just talking Triple Crown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, and those are the more important ones anyway. And Big yeah. Daddy Cool, how did he get this belt? He beat Bob Backlund in eight seconds with a power bomb at Madison Square Garden. And that's 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 right, Matthew. Yep. We talked about it a little bit on our last WWF show. Yeah, I know, but eight seconds. Yeah. <laughs> Old Bobby went down. So the match gets going, and we see Diesel overpowering the hitman early on. Include catching Brett's attempts at a crossbody. 
dropping him with a power slam and goes for an elbow drop, only for Hart to move. The hitman then goes for some clotheslines that do absolutely nothing, followed by Big Daddy cool clotheslining Brett over the ropes to the floor. A real 360. As Hart makes his way onto the apron, they start slugging it out with Diesel knocking the hitman back to the floor. Brett then grabs Big Daddy Cool and trips him up and wraps his leg around the ring post multiple times. Posted. Like, yeah, Brett's a little vicious here. He's on the floor and he picks his leg from from the floor while Diesel's in the, ape, uh, in the ring and just cranks that motherfucker across the post. You know, set up the sharpshooter. Duh. Back inside the ring, Hart continues to work the leg before locking on the figure four, which forces Diesel to crawl his way to the ropes to break the hold, only for the hitman to drag him right back to the middle and lock it back on. That a boy. Love it. I love that. I'm like, oh, he's going for the sharpshooter. It's like, no. No. Nah, nah he's figure four. Big Daddy Cool finally escapes by reaching the ropes once again, but Brett stomps him out through the ropes to the floor and follows out with a tope suicida to continue the punishment, only for Diesel to reverse a whip, sending Hart into the still steps. Stole, stolen. <laughs> Stealed. Stepped. You know, it's a famous WWF spot. Like, that's the one with the steel... Like, what other promotion has the steel steps in the corner? Yeah. It's a WWF signature. Does AEW still do steel steps? I mean, I don't oh, know. No, they depends, have a ramp. It depends on the show. They have a ramp, which I do love the ramp, which you typically get at, like, Tokyo Dome shows. They have and a ramp at some shows. But not all. Not always. Okay. Yeah. But I love the ramp. I love the ramp in that golden pre-Hogan era of WCW. Yeah. Where it's not always good. I but the good I liked it at the time, really but then once it was gone, I missed it. Oh, uh, yeah. Cactus Jack splats off, yep. of, <laughs> off of the shit. So good. Back in the ring, Big Daddy Cool hobbles his way around the ring, delivering elbows to the face in the corner and a side suplex for a two-count. Diesel starts choking the hitman across the ropes, hitting a body guillotine before stretching him with a backbreaker hold. Continues with a Canadian backbreaker, only for Brett to reverse it into a sleeper, which Big Daddy Cool quickly tosses him off, followed by a big boot and an elbow drop for a near fall. And I'm like watching this show, and about around here, I'm like, fuck, WWF's a wrestling promotion. Holy shit. This is fucking, this is wrestling. When they WWF, they WWF. Yeah, I mean, you know, if that was a chant at the time, <laughs> it, it deserves it. Diesel sends Hart to the corner and charges in, only to receive a boot and a second rope clothesline before the hitman heads up top, where Big Daddy Cool meets him to press slam him off but it's reversed into a body press for a two-count. Brett rolls out to the floor to regroup, trips Diesel up again, and uses the tape off his wrists to tie Big Daddy Cool's legs together around the ring post. This is a different side of Brett Hart we're seeing. Yep. Allowing Hart to stop him on his way back into the ring while the ref works to untie him. like a little bit of Owen in that, Brett. Oh, yeah, and, the, and it's so great, too, because like, even in hindsight, we all know that like Brett Hart loves wrestling. Some of these guys just did this. Some of them were good at it and just did it, but it's in his fucking blood. It means something to him, and he wants his shit back. And he's gone through hell. A lot of it because of his brother. The hitman continues with a bulldog, a shot to the gut, Russian leg sweep for a two count, 
continues with a backbreaker and a second rope elbow for a near fall before hitting a clothesline to send Diesel out to the floor. Brett goes for a plancha, only for Big Daddy Cool to catch him and ram him into the ring post, before heading back into the ring, where Diesel calls for the end. Ah, no, no, no. Big Daddy Cool hits the jackknife powerbomb mm. for the pin. And no! Shawn Michaels runs into the ring and starts pounding on Diesel with him working over the leg until the ref can regain control of the match, kicking HBK out of the ring. And it's so smart because Sean is a shithead, and Sean's like, yo, Diesel is more upset at me than Bret Hart is, and Bret Hart is about my same size. So it's like, it just makes sense for him to go in there and be like, oh, well, it's going to be, I want the title, and it will be easier pound for pound for me to ha- get this, win this off of Brett than it is for me to win off of Diesel. So there's psychology there. It's not just a random run-in. But technically, this match should be called for a disqualification at this point with yeah. Diesel keeping the belt. Absolutely. So what you just said doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. I agree with that, but <laughs> WWF's going to WWF, and I still think they do it well here. But luckily for you... The ref decides the match must continue. Yeah, it'd be better if Brett was the one that was like, I want to go on, or whatever, or maybe Diesel's like, fuck it. But, yeah, there should be a DQ here. But we've seen sillier things, and we all want it to go on. The crowd wants it to go on. So Hart continues the punishment on the legs of Big Daddy Cool, followed by elbows and knee drops before applying the figure four once more. Diesel finally punches his way free, but the hitman won't stop working the leg. He then whips Big Daddy Cool to the corner and charges in, only for Diesel to move out of the way. Ah, fucking Bret Hart is the best. He's there ever was. Yeah, ever is, will be. I mean, and ever is. And the the other thing people are like, oh well, he doesn't have a great promo. It's like, well, he doesn't have a great promo because Bret Hart is Bret Hart. He's fucking real. Yep. He comes out there and says stuff with a little Canadian accent. Yeah. And then, best there is, was, ever will be, and then I'm going to come out there and I'm going to kick your ass. He's only capable of being himself, yeah. which is the purest thing a babyface can be. But I'm not going to lie. At times, I was that same guy saying, I'm so sick of Bret Hart. Yeah, but in hindsight. Yeah. In hindsight, you're yeah. like, oh man, the world needs Bret Hart. That was my true fandom back in the day, though. Was like, yeah. I'm sick of you. Yeah. You're doing the same Hogan thing. He's not, though. No. <laughs> I was just... A super hardcore Shawn Michaels fan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And also, you know, you're younger, and wrestling has done a lot of things since then. And you wish it was as good as some of this stuff. Yes. Big Daddy Cool hits some knees to the ribs, followed by a gut-wrench suplex for a two-count, before missing a charge into the corner, getting his leg hung up in the ropes. Ah, such good storytelling. Allowing Brett to grab a chair and swing away, but the ref doesn't disqualify him. Hart locks on a sharpshooter. When Owen Hart runs in to attack the hitman, untying a turnbuckle pad before sending Brett into it, chest first. Ah, Brett Hart takes that corner better than anybody. Mm-hmm. It's truly impressive. Turnbuckle pad or not? Yeah, yeah, with the back or the chest. When he do- he hits it, it seems like somebody shot Vader out of a cannon. Well, like after he hit it. While he was laying there, it looked like his chest was inverted. <laughs> like, it looked like, like there he... was an actual dent. 
Yeah, and Bret Hart does not have a chest concavity. (laughs) (laughs) The ref finally gets rid of the King of Hearts, and still, the match must continue. It's even now. That's right. Diesel crawls over on top of Hart for a near fall, followed by the two men getting back to their feet, where Big Daddy Cool goes to slam the hitman into the exposed turnbuckle once more. Only for Brett to reverse to send Diesel into it. Hart's delivering right hands to knock Big Daddy Cool down, but he's right back up to start hitting forearms to knock the hitman out to the floor, where he gets hung up in the ropes, allowing Diesel to grab the chair for some payback. They're keeping it even here. We got some 50-50 booking. Also, I love Big Daddy Cool's like funk-style cell out on his feet. Oh. <laughs> it's nice. See, I love Big Daddy Cool getting back up with the forearms because that's not something you normally saw in a uh, a Bret Hart match, you know. Normally, or in in most championship matches, you know, once the the champion had control or you know was knocking the guy down, it wasn't very often that he came right back up and just started knocking your ass back down. Yeah. So he's pissed. Seeing old Kevin do that was was great. Yeah, Kevin's pissed. Fucking Bret's wants that more than anything and now he's pissed yep brett frees himself from the ropes and decides to play possum in the ring Ah, cradling up big daddy cool as he gets near for a two count Ah, one two no hart sends the ropes and floats over a back body drop tries for an o'connor roll only for them to bump into the ref so everyone is down ref bump sean owen Bob Backlund, Double J, and the roadie all run into the ring to attack the two men, causing a no contest as officials try to clear the ring. Yeah, Earl just says, oh, fuck he's like, now. He's like, yo, we, I dealt with it twice. <laughs> Three time is a bell ring, not a charm. Yeah. So post-match, all of them still in the ring with Backlund placing the hitman in the cross-faced chicken wing while the others beat on Big Daddy Cool only for him to fire up and clear the ring himself, even helping Brett. Diesel helps Hart to his feet, and they shake hands and hug to the crowd's delight. Oh, how sweet. I mean, you Brothers. Know. Yeah, Big Daddy Cool song plays because he's the champion, but yeah, WWF is just WWFing so well mm-hmm. on this show in 1995. So very impressed. It's like... There's holes in the logic, but it's WWF logic. And it's following its own rules as well as it can. Luckily, it's also got the talent. Until we get to some other things. So we go to Pamela Anderson's dressing room, and Todd's there, and she's changing. Of course. And I couldn't tell if he's uncomfortable or if he... I think that he's just like schoolboy nervous. Like, well, well, Pamela Anderson. And this show has been so good that I forgot Pamela Anderson was even here. And then I was like, oh, Pam's here. We then go to Stephanie, and she's with the 123 Kid and Bob Spark Plug Holly. And so they replace the smoking guns in a tag team tournament when Bart Gunn had been injured. In a rodeo accident. Mm-hmm. I didn't catch that. I thought they beat the smoking guns in a tournament. No. But I caught that, and then I had questions later. Yeah. Either way, you know, 
I forgot to wear my Bob Sparkplug Holly t-shirt. But this tournament is being held because HBK and Big Daddy Cool had broken up, and they were the you know last tag team. Yeah, titles vacated. Let's have a tournament for it. And Sparkplug tells us that we're getting our chance at the Super Bowl. Uh, And he says something about Bob. The like Chargers are in the Super Bowl or something, mm-hmm. and like you know if they can. Do yeah, it was a year do. that the Chargers made the Super Bowl and they had absolutely no chance, and then they yeah. got destroyed by the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, it was an underdog so, underdog games. Yeah. Oh, back when the Dallas Cowboys were good. Something. So we're back with Vincent Lawler, and he breaks out his Magistrator. Yeah. Which is basically a Telestrator, and. We see the picture of Pam getting out of the limo from the earlier in the evening. Of course. And he begins drawing on on it a picture of himself giving Pamela Anderson a kiss. Yes, it kind of goes out, so he doesn't get the crown, but you saw where he was going. I mean, it's not as good as when Bobby does it, but no. not very many things are as good as when Bobby does it. No. But it's not bad. Jerry Lawler's good. He's good on the mic. We all agree. So we're headed to our fourth match. Bam, bam, Bigelow. Bam, bam. And Tatanka with the million dollar man, <laughs> Ted DiBiase, <laughs> versus the one, two, three kid and Bob Sparkplug Holly. At a, comb- <laughs> at a combined weight of 344 pounds. <laughs> In the finals for the vacant WWF World Tag Team Championships. Yeah, one, two, three, and Bob Holly beat the Heavenly Bodies yep. to get here. Vince does mention that the smoking guns are healthy again, and they will meet the winners the next night on Monday Night Raw. We're not going to cover that match, but I'll tell you what happens at the end of this match. <laughs> I was like, but I'm confused. If they're healthy, why are they not in the match? Well, they're healthy now. Because they had to be replaced in the tournament. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, yeah, which like, you know, gotcha. For the tournament. Gotcha. So, a great huh. excuse to build some guys. So Holly and Tatanka start us off with a Native America delivering right hands, chops, and a side suplex. Tatanka tries for another side suplex, only for Spark Plug to counter into a head scissors, followed by a body slam and multiple drop kicks. I love his drop kick. I like Bob Holly's drop kick. It's nice. Yeah. And that sends the Native American looking for a tag. Bam Bam runs in, only to receive a drop toe hold from Holly before the kid joins Spark Plug for a double team maneuver, which Bigelow just runs through and starts tossing one two three around like a rag doll. Yeah, one two three kid is like the Sam Houston of the WWF right here. Bam Bam's throwing the kid way up into the air, only for one two three to counter into a hurricanrana, followed by going for a spinning heel kick which Bigelow no-sells and lays out the kid with an enziguri for a two-count. I mean, that he popped him up high, and that head scissors was so crisp. And then Bam Bam exerting uh, his power afterwards. Really nice spot. Tatanga's back in and with chops and hard Irish whips. Bam Bam comes in only for one, two, three to begin fighting back. But Bigelow is too strong and hits a face plant and a vertical suplex. Bam Bam charges at 1-2-3, who back body drops Bigelow over the ropes to the floor. So the Native American jumps in to attack from behind, going for a back suplex, but the kid flips over and drop kicks Tatanka into Bam Bam 
who was back on the apron. Also, another nice spot. Bam Bam, good on you for taking it to the floor and getting back on the apron so quick. Holly is tagged in before he and 123 both head up top to try for stereo crossbodies. But they are both caught, only to wriggle free and send the million dollar team into each other, allowing Spark Plug to roll up the Native American for a near fall. Holly hits a drop kick and several clotheslines, but on a third attempt, Bigelow holds the ropes, sending Spark Plug tumbling out to the floor. And I don't think anybody's tumbled to the floor as hard and fast as Bob Holly did no. there. Back in the ring, Tatanka with multiple body slams, an elbow drop, clothesline, and a power slam. Making the cover, but he moves to avoid 1-2-3 coming in with an elbow drop. The Native American goes up top while Bam Bam holds Holly, and he comes off with a tomahawk chop, only for Spark Plug to move to avoid, causing Bigelow to take the blow. I love how upset 1-2-3 is when he hits his partner with the elbow. It's good. He's all like, oh no! Yeah, because it like kind of... Alo- home Alone face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he like teases like some dissension. It's, uh, it's nice. Holly's crawling to the corner when Tatanka starts taunting the kid. So he leaves the corner, which allows Bam Bam to recover and hit an avalanche splash in the corner before tossing spark plug out to the floor. And there he is. He fucked up again. Holly comes back into the ring with a sunset flip, but Bigelow stays up and sits down, followed by a drop kick for a two count. Now spark plug has absolutely no clue where he is as he reaches out for a tag to the Native American. So the million dollar team continues the punishment as Tatanka hits a gut wrench suplex and a clothesline. That part made me kind of chuckle a little bit. It was funny, but it was also like believable because Bob Holly is taking some big bumps and um, his ass kicked. Yeah, he's he's really yeah. It's uh, not as goofy as some other times you see that happen. Yeah, Holly continues to make tags to every corner except the right one. It's a shame he wasn't in a. Four-corner match. Yeah, whatever those are called. (laughs) My favorite kind of match. But he starts to throw desperate blows before the Native American and Spark Plug both go for crossbodies for a double KO. Crowd's hot. Holly makes the crawl for the... Hot hot tag! tag. He earned it. Bringing in one, two, three with a spinning heel kick on Bam Bam. Heads up top for a missile drop kick, followed by a drop kick to Tatanka to knock him off the apron. And a springboard sent on. Onto the Native American before excited. coming off the top with a crossbody onto Bigelow for a near fall. I love that Vince McMahon calls it a moonsault. But, you know, it's a, it's a, what a maneuver. It's Vince McMahon. Holly runs in to clear the Native American from the ring while DiBiase jumps on the apron to distract the raft. So the Bam Bam can press slam one, two, three over to the floor. Kid is rolled back into the ring where Bigelow body slams him and heads up top for a moonsault. When Tatanka starts to run the ropes, knocking Bam Bam right on his head. Oh my gosh. I love that, like, one, two, three fucked up a couple of times in a big way in this match, and then Tatanka fucks up in another big way. It's good. Spark plug charges in to knock the Native American from the ring. While one, two, three rolls over to make the cover for the pin and, and the win. win. And new! Ah, I was just thinking about how fucking good it was. 
So I'm glad that 123 Kid and Sparkplug got their moment. Because they would lose the belts the next night to the Smoking Guns. Yeah, I'm sure that's that... who originally was supposed to win this tournament. Yeah, yep. I imagine that uh, that match wasn't as good as this one. I don't know. I don't know either, but I'm just going to assume because I, I thought this remember. was I thought this was pretty great. Yeah, I just love they tease the face team like making mistakes, and then when the heel team makes a mistake, it is their downfall. Like I said, it's WWF doing WWF. Right. So post-match, the champs are celebrating as Million Dollar Man and Tatanka leave Bigelow laying in the ring. Bam Bam starts taking a walk around ringside with everyone yelling at him when he comes to Lawrence Taylor, who is laughing at him. LT, LT. Lawrence is all like, man, no, no offense, no offense, and goes to shake Bam Bam's hand. But Bigelow just shoves Taylor. Before leaving for the back, uh, the crowd's all all on LT's uh, side. Granted, Lawrence Taylor, impeccable hair, mm-hmm. handsome man, cool dangly earring, cool suit for '95. He's looking like a star. He looks great. Bam Bam's got a little bit of blood, and I was like, "Who bled?" And then I was like, "I think that he just bled from his mouth." But yeah. there's like, because I saw blood on the mat, and I was like, "Where did that come from?" Yeah, he fell on his head and knocked himself out, mm-hmm. and bit his cheek or something. Something. I don't know. He had blood on his. Mouth, nose, looked like he had the starting of a black eye, or if it was blood, I couldn't tell yeah. if that was just that, but yeah, he... He took a hard it one. It looked a little rough. It was probably that throw, that fall he took to the floor. Bam Bam Bigelow should not be going to the floor. I mean, years ago, we would see him do, like, a cartwheel or whatever, mm-hmm. and do it really well. And we'd say, wow, that's awesome. Yeah, he doesn't do cartwheels anymore. <laughs> he just doesn't do cartwheels anymore. No. And, it's, yeah... That's a big man to fall to the ground. Todd then sends us to a video package of last year's Royal Rumble, where we see Diesel as a one-man wrecking crew until Shawn Michaels, with a kick that's not shown, helps others eliminate Big Daddy Cool. The reason that's not shown is because it actually didn't happen. Yeah, I know. I don't like they just they just all pushed him out, right? Yeah, the other guys pushed him out, and Shawn didn't help. But he didn't do anything to help his buddy not get pushed up. Wondering yeah. if there was possibly supposed to be a kick. Yeah. It, just, yeah. He, he, just he, went, he yeah. got ejected before the kick could take place. I don't know. And we go to HBK in the back, and he says some words about that kick and what he's going to do in tonight's Rumble. He says that he got him out all by himself. Mm-hmm. Which is a totally. bold-faced lie. Totally. And um, that is good heel work. We then see the ending of the previous year's Rumble, where Hart and Luger go over the floor at the same time. And then we go to Lex, who has some words saying that last year was last year. And this year, I'm tired of being a contender, and I'm becoming a champion. Yeah, last year was last year, and this year is this year, and I am still Lex Luger. Yep. That's what I heard. We then go to Vince, and he apologizes on air for the actions of Bam Bam. Taking, it, taking out Lawrence Taylor. And I think that Vince sells it really well. Like, he seems sincere, and then he turns around, and it takes away all the sincereness, because he turns around, and the camera, like, holds on, like, his shoulder in, like, a dramatically, like, soap opera, like, news show. It's very funny. Howard Finkel then announces our special guest hostess, Pamela Anderson. And she's brought out to the ring. And Howard tells us that she will escort the winner of the Rumble 
to WrestleMania. Yeah, she's fucking hotter than a two dollar pistol, man. So we get like Caesar and Cleopatra one year, and then a couple years later we get Pamela Anderson. I also love okay. that like you know the Attitude Era. They were just like shooting like close ups of like women in thongs. Like they were just basically doing like butthole shots. It was, and here the like sexy shot is like Pamela Anderson's ankle. Yep, which is in like a tight like silk Full dress length. that like is like a it's like a it's a tight dress but it goes to like who her ankle so we're like oh we're just gonna show her ankle yep and then a couple years later they're like inside of marlena <laughs> like they show a shot from inside of her pretty much <laughs> pretty wild shit so we headed off to our fifth match the royal rumble the eighth royal rumble Ooh. eighth annual royal rumble in wwf 1995 so does Finkel actually say the rules at the beginning, or do? Or we, I guess or we just do, know does, at this Vin, point? does Vince say them at some point? I'm trying to remember because there are a couple rule changes this year. Oh, is there? Because it's intervals of sixty seconds between wrestlers. It's very quick. I do remember that. Sometimes saying. it seems less than sixty seconds. It's both feet must touch the ground. Had that not been a thing before? It had not. Okay. It's literally any foot touches the ground. You're out, you're out. You're out. Yeah. Ah. And this oh. year they changed it to both feet. And that will come into play shortly-ish. So number one is the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels. He's a sexy, sexy boy. boy. Number two, the British Bulldog, Davey Boy Smith. Two former Intercontinental title holders. That's right. So Shawn attacks before the bell, only for Bulldog to quickly send Michaels to the corner followed by a backdrop and a press slam down to the mat. Davy Boy Smith continues with a clothesline and another hard Irish whip for a flare flip. But HBK remembers that he shouldn't fall out to the floor right here. Uh, yeah, I mean, Shawn Michaels, it just does... We'll get to it. It just looks like he's going to go out so mm-hmm. many times. British Bulldog with a headbutt, only to then charge into a big boot. And this is where McMahon says this is going to be the fastest, most furious rumble ever as competitors hit the ring every 60 seconds. But Sean misses an elbow drop as number three, Eli Blue, makes his way to the ring. Oh, hey there, Brother Blue. All three work on each other with right hands until number four comes out, Duke the Dumpster Drosy. Dumb, dumb, dumb. Uh, yeah, but... Poop the trash is his name. Pretty much. Eli delivers a big boot to Drosy as he hits the ring, but the dumpster comes back with a body slam and bear hug on Michaels. Number five is the gigolo Jimmy Del Rey, who goes right after Blue and Drosy before getting HBK teetering on the top rope. When Bulldog makes the save, only for Sean to come back into the ring with a double axe handle on Davy Boy Smith. Davey, what are you doing? Number six is Sione, who headbutts Michaels and tries to body slam him over the ropes as well, but to no avail. British Bulldog clotheslines Del Rey over the ropes to the floor to be eliminated. Number seven is Dr. Tom Pritchard, who jumps in the ring and goes after Blue, while Sione has HBK in a gorilla press. But Sean grabs the ropes to prevent himself from being tossed over. Crowd loves it. 
Turnbuckle smash off by Eli on Pritchard when it's time for number eight, Doink the Clown. And everyone is brawling as Drozzy gets smashed into a turnbuckle by Michaels. Number nine is Quang. Who I we forgot have. about Quang. Well, it's probably because we haven't seen him since Royal Rumble 94, episode 110. Everybody's still brawling with really nothing happening. Nope. Number 10 is Rick, the model Martell. Yes, who we also that one. haven't seen since the previous year's Royal Rumble. I love uh, even Jerry Lawler's like, how quick are these guys coming out here? <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, same. But when you see the names of the people that come out, you're like, okay, well, I guess, you know, let's make quick work. Number 11 is the King of Hearts, Owen Hart. Oh, that's not a personal feeling. That's what the crowd says. But before he reaches the ring, Brett runs out to attack him from behind. Officials finally get the hitman off of Owen. As number 12, Timothy Wells, one half of Well Done, Mm -hmm. comes out. Who the fuck is Well Done? There's the good question. Is that Poop the Trash and Timothy Wells? Is that their team? No. Who the fuck is Timothy Wells? That guy that just ran out number 12. Oh, oh. He, he's well. Dunn will be out there later. I'm done. So while he is running out, you can see on the video wall behind him, the King of Hearts run into the ring, only to be back body dropped over by the British Bulldog to be eliminated. I can't believe Owen should have went longer. The dumpster is then back body dropped over the ropes and onto a ref to be eliminated by the Heartbreak Kid. Well is whipped hard into a corner for what probably was supposed to be a flare flip, but falls back into the ring. So Davy Boy Smith just tosses him over to be eliminated. Sione backbody drops a charging Martel over the ropes to be eliminated from the match and from the WWF, as this is the last time we will see him for about three years. Mm-mm. We love a Rick Martel. We do. Sean clotheslines Dr. Tom Pritchard over to be eliminated. While Doink is back body dropped over to the apron. All these guys getting back body dropped. I mean, that's how you get them out of the ring. Like that's the <laughs> swiftest way. Otherwise, they're doing the they're Sean Sean Michaeling their their way uh, with the ropes. And that is followed by a Quang thrust kick to knock the clown to the floor to eliminate him. And that would be the last time that we see him for about six years. You know what my favorite thing about Quang is? The name. Yeah, it's like it's it's the onomatopoeia of like taking a um of a, a savat kick. It's like what you hear in your head is like quang. I feel like my nephew, like when he was four years old, watching Power Rangers, or not Power Rangers, Turtles, Turtles, because Krang. Yeah, Krang. Krang, Krang's cool. I'm I'm Krang. pro pro Krang. Sione then hits a big boot to send Quang over the ropes to the floor to be eliminated. Before- that was the sound he heard. Before Eli Blue runs in with a clothesline to Sione that sends both of them over to be eliminated. Uh-huh. Leaving Shawn Michaels and Davy Boy Smith alone in the ring. Blood in, blood out. Number 13 is Bushwhacker Luke, who's grabbed by HBK and immediately tossed over the ropes to the floor to be eliminated. He I mean, made he beat it longer than before. Did he? Yeah. And huh, beat his record. Bulldog with a vertical suplex of Sean as number 14, Jacob Blue, runs out to the ring, hitting a clothesline on Michaels before charging at him again to be back body dropped to the floor to be eliminated. 
Davy Boy Smith picks up HBK to body slam him over the ropes, but Sean wraps himself around the ropes to prevent himself from being tossed. I mean, there's a strong theme here. Yes, Sean continuously has to save himself from being he does tossed it, he over the ropes. He does a good job, and a convincing job, I'd say. Number 15 is King Kong Bundy. Oh no, who will ever get King Kong Bundy out? And we finally get a replay of Owen Hart's elimination from earlier in the show, while Bundy is working over the bulldog in the ring. Number 16 is Moe, who runs in and charges at King Kong, only to be back body dropped over the ropes to be eliminated. <laughs> Davy Boy Smith with a clothesline on Bundy and tries to pick him up, but King Kong is too big. He's, um, he's big. Number 17 is Mabel. Bulldog has his head smashed into a turnbuckle by Michaels as the two big men brawl it out in the middle of the ring. I couldn't believe the pop for Mabel. Mabel was over. Ish. He's he's a big face right now. Mabel's getting Bundy over the ropes onto the apron and finally down to the floor to be eliminated. Number 18 is Bushwhacker Butch who goes after HBK only for Sean to just toss Butch over the top rope to be eliminated. See, this could have been the year that Butch made it to, you know, final three. How awesome would that have been? It would have been great if he walked in and did the, the hand thing and everybody just catches just one on the chin. And everybody <laughs> no, off. that'd be good too. I was thinking he does that and like he catches everybody on the chin and they just fly out. <laughs> like like a bad video game. He's too short to back body drop anybody. Yeah. He just mm-hmm. do the, the yeah. bushwhack. Yes, yes, sir. Davy Boy Smith and Mabel get Michaels hanging over the edge, but he again grabs the ropes to prevent from falling out. Oh, that Michaels. Number 19 is Lex Luger, who runs out and goes after Mabel, immediately just lifting him over the ropes to be eliminated. Bye bye, Mabel. Lex follows up by hitting several running clotheslines to HBK and Gorilla Press slams him down to the mat. I know, it's like he had him up. Just toss him over the rope. I mean, we can't believe Alex is that stupid. Uh, we can't. Yeah. I mean, we have to now. If there was any doubt before, <laughs> there we go. Bulldog and Luger then work together to get Sean over, but to no avail. Yeah, they get him up, but not over. Number 20. He's going to do that himself. Is Mantar. Who? Moo. <laughs> is that Bastion is that Booger? Him? No, it's not. It looks like Bastion Booger, right? Kind of. A little thinner. But it's not the same guy. No. Thinner, maybe not the right word. A little less big. Definitely not Norman the Lunatic. No. And he goes after Lex when he comes in, only for Davy Boy Smith to make the save. So Mantar starts working over Bulldog. Number 21 is Aldo Montoya. But we might know him better as Justin Incredible. Oh. Did not know that was just incredible. Yep. Um, yeah, crazy. I was like, Aldo Montoya, that's a cool name, it's a cool costume, but we're living here in Job City. Luger and Davy Boy Smith double-teaming Mantar when it's time for number 22, Henry Godwin, who we haven't seen since WCW Saturday night of May 14, 1994, episode 117 at Shanghai Pierce. Oh, Lawler has a great line that Godwin's teeth are so dirty he can drink water and spit yoo-hoo. 
Very good. And this is a great time for us to get Pam Cam, uh, because they really have not exploited the fact that Pam Anderson is here, to be she, honest. She doesn't really look like she wants to be exploited. She doesn't really look like she wants to be there at all. So. She does okay. They put the camera the and she's like, oh, go away. I'm hoping the money was good, because, yeah, she just... She does not look happy to be there at all. No. Nope. Number 23 is Billy Gunn, who goes right after Mantar as everyone's just brawling in the ring. Number 24 is Bart Gunn, out to help his brother, only to be attacked by Mantar. Number 25 is Mr. Bob Backlund. But before he gets to the ring... He's got to play to the crowd. Bret Hart attacks from behind, which again the refs have to clear the hitman off. Just let the man go. Kick his ass. I mean, Bret Hart, he's uh, got an axe to grind. And in a... It's like they were like... It worked well the first time. Let's do it again. The other half of Well Done comes out right after Bret Hart attacks at number 26, Stephen <laughs> Dunn. There you go. Yeah, I was like, who? They didn't even say the name for a while. So I was I've, in my notes, I've got 26, guy, question mark. <laughs> guy, the <laughs> dude, the guy, guy, the man. There you go. Dunn Bret. goes right after Aldo Montoya as Backlund has made his way into the ring only to be clotheslined by Lex over the ropes to the floor. How is this for um, a wrestling job gimmick? Uh, Mr. The Wrestler. As long as we can get a Mr. The Wrestler number two. (laughs) That's even better. (laughs) You don't even have a one. You just go straight to two. Brett and Bob then brawl their way back to the locker room. Number 27 is Dick Murdoch, who we haven't seen since Super Summer Sizzler Spectacular. Episode 93. I kind of popped for Dick Murdoch because I was like, I know who that is. <laughs> and he's old. Everyone's brawling in the ring still when it's time for number 28. Now, yeah, this ring is finally getting crowded in the way that Rumble Rumbles should. typically would be crowded. I kind of like the fast pace, but I knew early on what they were getting over. And, I, yeah. and we'll, we'll, we'll talk then, about it. Then you look at the the ring and it's like oh yeah it's henry godwin and mm-hmm. old Stephen dunn mm, yeah yeah <laughs> mr mr the wrestler too aldo montoya mantar hits an avalanche splash and tries to body slam luger while godwin's working on michaels having him halfway over the ropes for who knows what the number of times is in this match uh you know whatever this sexy number is number 29 is fatu who gets into a slugfest with Billy Gunn, lifting him over the ropes, only for Billy to land on the apron and roll back in. Oh, Fatu, mastering them boots. Luger gets Bantar over the ropes and out to the floor to be eliminated. As number 30, Crush, who immediately tosses both guns, who are slugging it out with each other. How disappointing is it that number 30 is Crush? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the equivalent today of, like, Dolph Ziggler being number 30. <laughs> I like Dolph Ziggler like, more than I like Crush. Eh, but on. yeah, it's like, oh, well, you don't believe that he's going to win. No. Get ready for the eliminations, because here they come, because Aldo Montoya, back body drops Stephen Dunn to be eliminated. Adam Baum and Crush start slugging it out while thinking they may be a good tag team in the future, before Crush dumps Adam out to the floor to eliminate him. Somebody was high with that thought. Sean then tosses Montoya over the ropes to be eliminated, followed by Murdoch trying to get Michaels over, only for Luger to make a save. Crush levels Fatu with a clothesline to send him over to the outside to be eliminated. 
Murdoch hits a drop kick on Godwin. Big old boy. Picks him up for an airplane spin, which knocks HBK down, before dumping Henry out, who hangs onto the top rope with his feet up to pull Murdoch out as well to be eliminated. We may have missed one of my favorite spots in this whole rumble, which is... Fatu and Dick Murdoch having a uh, headbutt contest. Headbutt fight. <laughs> you know I love a, a on knees headbutt fight a la Junkyard Dog. And they did it uh, very well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Fatu won because he was born on an island. Our final five is Luger, Bulldog, Godwin, Crush, and Michaels. I believe a couple of them. Lex starts taking a beating, but hits a big boot onto a charging Godwin, followed by backdropping Henry over the ropes to be eliminated. I mean, you know, it's it's better him than Luger. Luger's being worked on by Crush and HBK, but he fires back to mount the Hawaiian in the corner with punches when Sean comes from behind to shove him out to the floor to be eliminated. Just a old Shawn Michaels shove. Crush and Michaels then double-team Davy Boy Smith with clotheslines, but Crush turns on HBK, picking him up above his head, only for Sean to rake the eyes to escape. At least, you know, at least he wasn't completely, didn't completely luger and press slam him in the middle of the mat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He at least got his eyes raked. He had an excuse. Bulldog charges at them, only for Michaels to duck. But Davy Boy Smith does hit Crush to send him over the ropes to the floor. And Crush is eliminated. So our final two are our first two, HBK and the British Bulldog. You know how quick I knew that that was going to happen? Whatever they were the first and second person in the ring? Uh, I would say maybe like five guys deep when Luger was like middle of the pack maybe. But I knew, I had an idea, but I was like, well, they could do Luger, but I don't think they will. But I knew who was winning pretty early on. You but, probably knew that HBK was winning it once, and we're spoiling the end of this match, uh, whenever yeah. Diesel was still the champion at the end of his match. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So the two men are trading blows, but a knee lift from Davy Boy Smith puts him in control, followed by an Irish whip that sends Sean prone on the top rope, with Bulldog delivering multiple kicks to the midsection. Gorilla. I love it. He bounces on the ropes with the kicks. It's very nice. Gorilla press slam right onto the ropes by crotching Michaels, but he falls back into the ring, followed by a clothesline to send HBK over the ropes. <gasps> and Davy Boy Smith celebrating as his music starts playing, climbing the corner turnbuckle, when Sean all of a sudden runs into hitting from behind, knocking him out to the floor, making Sean Michaels your Royal Rumble winner. So the official announcement was that only one of HBK's feet had hit the floor, which we get multiple replays of mm-hmm. showing hanging on the top rope. You've seen, if you've seen, the, you've seen this many, yeah, I mean, many times. Yes. They show this every year at the Royal Rumble with only one foot touching the floor before pulling himself back into the ring. He really does it. Like, they do an incredible job of being like, Let's show the replay. Like they don't show it from well, the angle. They have angle. to do the replay this year because of last year's not showing catastrophe. it. But but Sean does such a good job. Like people, like you could say what you will. Like Sean Michaels is the best wrestling entertainer 
of all time, and this is proof of it in this match. is It's like it's he's not Bret Hart, but he is a fucking star in a different kind of way. Like, Bret Hart is the wrestler. Shawn Michaels is the entertainer. The, the entertainer. And he... That him dragging that fall, and just touch, touching the one foot, he drags it out and does it wildly dramatically. Yep. Post match, Sean is celebrating as Pamela Anderson comes into the ring, and he tries to dance with her, but she wants no part of it. Yeah, he tries. Followed by Vince saying his goodbyes. A fun note here: Michaels now has the record for most eliminations in a single Royal Rumble with nine. Um, and he's also the first wrestler to win from spot number one. Ooh. But this match was also like only like 37 minutes long and not like over an hour like it usually is. <laughs> and <laughs> honestly, that was the I applause all around mm-hmm. for the intelligence of them looking at what they have to work with and how to do it. I don't know that you could have booked it really any better considering. Yeah. Considering the 30 they have. We'll get to it, but I mean, yeah. come on. One other note. When Fatu and Sione came out, they were brought out by Captain Lua Bono. And I just wanted to mention that because this is the last time we will see him. Oh, oh really? Wow. Lou, still haven't figured out your rubber band face thing. No. So, gentlemen, I ask you, what are your overall thoughts of Royal Rumble 1995? This show is great. It's very smart in the WWF way. It's super exciting all the way through. It focuses on wrestling and storylines. There's some logic you can poke holes in, but it's WWF logic. It's Swiss cheese, baby. If you like Swiss cheese, it's here. Um, And then the Rumble is full of jobbers, but I think it's booked as well as they could have considering and they put the right guy over and he truly is an incredible performer and proved it in spades here yes agree with the bulk of all of that there started off hot with razor and Jarrett. that match it had been a while since i'd seen it so i was trying to remember who was actually going over on that one i love that match the brett and diesel one awesome yeah yeah. Even they, Taker they, IRS, like IRS is so perfect for Taker because he can work. It's not like the greatest character, but like he's just he's just a, a he's a great wrestler. He's a good hand. He's just a he seriously is a good hand. Like he's just yeah, it's unfortunate that he has does this gimmick for so long. Mm-hmm. But if anybody else had this gimmick, this gimmick wouldn't last as long. Nope. So there's that. So it's not uh, Sounds like we're all on the same page. I I also really enjoyed this show. Um, it flowed really well. The finishes of some of the matches did have something to be desired, but I wasn't I wasn't mad about them. It's January. We like, started off I mean, fresh we, fuse. We mentioned the DQ thing and the Brett Diesel. Like it evens out. It, it works itself out, so it it doesn't it doesn't make me mad about it. No, it's a like t- when it first when it fir- like the first Shawn Michaels running in, I yeah. was like, really, we're gonna DQ, and then it was yeah. just like they, and then it was like, oh no, we're gonna keep it going. And I was like, okay, and then more stuff. I, was, I didn't love the ending of the match. I didn't love. I understand the, it though. 
But yes, it made sense. It kept storylines going. The thing that I guys. think that was that like worked so well is like those guys were great in the ring, but it's a teeter totter where it's like okay, the scales of justice like, and then at the end of it, it's evened out. But like they they it's a roller coaster in that way. Yep. It's not my favorite way to do wrestling, but I think that this is the place where you do wrestling like yeah. this. The Rumble match, we I think we've all mentioned. There's literally like six people in the entire match that have a that have a chance at winning it. Yeah, Lex, Davy Boy, Sean, Owen, Owen, ba- Backlund, Owen. But Owen is out way too fast. It, well, that's the thing is that like the Owen and Backlund eliminations are literally like they're in there like ten seconds combined. Yeah, I mean so, I know my biggest. But there's st- there's still two of the people that have a chance when they come out. You're like, okay, they have a chance. They're players. I mean, you could probably throw... I, th- I think they're really putting their money behind Mabel. So I was actually surprised that he was eliminated as quickly as possible. You got yeah, such I didn't a good expect pop. him to go over that fast. So, I mean, he's probably the sixth person for me. But... If, if Hogan was around, Mabel would have lasted longer because they need a big guy to take a big boot. The 60 seconds between people, it kept the action moving. Mm-hmm. If it was two minutes, and this would have been and it never, awful. It, yeah, it never bogged down. Even though nothing was really happening in the ring, it was never boring. It never bogged down. Yeah, because yeah, it just kept moving. It did, and even like when the ring fills up, I'm like, okay, I'm kind of losing it. But then, then somebody comes in and it's clears just it all elimination, out. Elimination, yeah, elimination, yeah. elimination, yeah. like. And they did a really good job with like timing. Or. Shawn Michaels did a great job of timing the spots, and I think the camera work on the show, the production is incredible. They caught everything you needed to see very well. Yeah. Except for the Owen. Which they showed us later. Yeah. They did. Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right. Fuck you. I think it's time we smart it up. So what are some of those best moments of this show? I love the first match a lot. Agreed. I really love the first match. I think the second match might be one of the more interesting taker matches. That felt, yeah. I mean, it, that's the worst match, right? Undertaker IRS. Um, and, and it's not bad. It's just kind of like it's still it's, it's overbooked. Yeah. Yeah, but I think that it's still a little bit like I don't love taker matches, and I think it might be a little bit more interesting than some of the other taker matches we've watched. Like it didn't. I wasn't. I mean, IRS messed up the Tombstone Piledriver yeah. at the end. He did. And that's why they had to do the choke slam for the pin yeah. instead of... So, I mean, there was that, but... Yeah. Uh, and, like, um, it's, yeah, there's not... I don't think there's any bad matches on the show at all. Yeah. I think one of my favorite moments actually is the hot tag to one, two, three kid. Like, Bob Holly it's great. was a great he sold face, it. In, face in peril. He sold it so well, and it was so intelligent the way that, like... The damage he took, and yeah, his crawl, and the fact that they did win after the mis- the mistakes that were booked in, yeah, is really good. That the heels make one mistake and like the faces go over. Like, I think that this show might be like peak. Maybe not. It's not a series of. It's not mega powers, but from like beginning to end, it might be like peak WWF. Storytelling. I mean, I think this might be one of my favorite WWF shows. Mm-hmm. It's it's entertaining throughout the entire. It never 
There's there's nothing that I was just like rolling my eyes. Yeah, I never I never had an exhausted sigh. Like it just keeps going. And in hindsight, you can be like poke holes and whatever and the, you want. But it follows WWE logic, Swiss cheese logic. The funny thing is, it's is that, good on a ham sandwich. WWF, hammy as hell. The funny thing is, is, if you go out there and look at like reviews of the show, it's not reviewed favorably. Yeah, it's that's not. crazy to me. And I'm just like, what did people not? I mean. I, I think this might maybe, be peak. maybe maybe at, I guess at it's the because moment it was lacking the star power in that. that that's level. the I think but that's we, the biggest. We have thing. the hindsight of knowing that these a lot of these guys go on to be stars. Yeah, these are stars in the making. But I think this might like this is like peak entertainment value in for WWF. They're really like there's shows with bigger moments in the past, but there's also like bad matches on those shows mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and there's nothing like this has such a strong amount of consistency and high points throughout and you know what there's only five matches and the rumble five if that, yeah one of them being the rumble and it flew by yep and even the overbooked stuff still had its own insane logic to it it wasn't complete oh, complete very, yeah. complete like silly may it be like it's still silly like in its own world where like you know like i said the 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 scales of justice are complete in in these in these matches i've actually seen a lot of people say like why would like you know put undertaker and irs in the in the rumble instead of having that match there absolutely not but then they're like and take well done and bushwhackers and put them. In, I'm just like, who wants to watch well done and bushwhackers have a tag match on this? Absolutely. Like, yeah. I'd rather them be this eliminated in ten seconds. I disagree with that take too because it's like, well, yeah, I, this is. I, I, that thought whole it was, rumble, I thought it was a horrible take. That whole rumble exists to get Sean over, yeah. and it does it incredibly well. And you can't have Taker lose the rumble. I mean, you could, but it would be stupid. I mean, you could have the entire billion dollar. That's the thing, is that you could put The Undertaker in the Rumble, but, but then you'd have the entire million-dollar corporation you have the Druids come out. out and pull them out. And yeah, yeah. we don't want that. I mean, you I'd could, have, you I mean, you'd have to have other Druids, cause, or you'd have to have them strategically yeah. timed. No, I think that this is, like, some of the... Like, for just under three hours, this is some of the best booked... Yeah, shit. I don't disagree with what they did. Yeah. I'm just saying that there's... Other takes, yeah. That's some, other takes that are out there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that what they did was is I think they did the best possible shit they could do with what they had at the time, and I think that it also was done as well as it could have been done. Like everybody showed up and did the shit well and right, and like are everybody's trying. Mm-hmm. How about most disappointing? Um, my most disappointing is Owen Hart being a non-factor in the Rumble. But, but it kept the storyline going. It, it keeps the storyline going. I, I had no issue with that. I just would have liked to see him in there for a little bit longer. That's it. That's it. Um, just because the Rumble is lacking in general, that I just would have liked to see him for a little bit longer, and that's a selfish I personally thought. would have felt like them, him coming out and brawling with Owen, and then Owen just like never makes it into the ring. That would have made more sense. Oh, yeah. I would, that would, I would have preferred... Like, if he's going to go out that fast... Then, then have him like you know attacked and uh, like stretcher jobbed or counted out or he goes in and he go gets as soon as he gets in the ring Brett pulls him out 
and then beats him down. Yeah. That's much better than what actually happened. But if he's going to get into the ring in any real way, I would have liked to see it go a little longer. But that's mostly selfish because fucking Mantar's in there. And, like, well did or whatever their team was. Done. I know. I was making a joke. How about you, Shane? Uh, Terry um, Funk and Dick Merck. This is a toughie. That's a, a good thing. This show is good. Yep. I think this show is really good. Like, my only thing I can think of, and it's not really even that much of a disappointment, but just there was a lot of interference in those first few matches. It was um, WWF the, interference. The only non-interference match, technically, I guess. I mean, it was a tag team match, but the 1-2-3 kid. And that one was booked. I think that the finish of that was so great. Yeah. That was like some, like you know, like midnight or rock and roll, yep. like up against up against like a Steiners or Doom one, type of thing. But you had the tag team partners accidentally hitting their partners instead. So yeah, it might be my favorite Tatanka match. It's not hard to do. Yeah, I'm just saying that's I'm, how good it was. I know what we're getting at WrestleMania, so the Bam Bam Lawrence Taylor stuff like yeah. is disappointing. Yeah. Oh, just because that's going to be that's voodoo. a thing. Yeah, and it's, it's our main like, event for Mania. I mean, it was nice for Lawrence Taylor to have some interaction because, like, you have Lawrence Taylor there. He's uh, so handsome and well dressed and cool, and the crowd loves him because he's as hot as he's ever going to be. But we don't need to see him in the ring. No, no. And uh, yeah, how about best performer of the night? That's a toughie. I mean, it's you got it is Sean hard. pulling himself up, but Sean you got Brett. Brett that's made all these. I mean, Brett literally, literally made... Brett with his healing stuff? This is stuff? Diesel's best match. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, fucking Jeff Jarrett, man. Jeff Jarrett was great. I mean... Jeff yeah, Jarrett was great. It's, it's he was tough, great. It's a tough one. I have to put the one. bookers as the best performer of the night. I mean, on a... <laughs> Give a defense? <laughs> yeah. It is, like, it is hard to choose. I'm going to go with, like, I expect nothing but the best out of Bret Hart. And he gave it to me. Mm-hmm. It was a little surprising with his heelish tendencies in the match. Shawn Michaels, like I knew he was winning. I have to, I have to give it to Shawn just for because that iconic moment of him with hanging the foot. on the rope and yeah. the foot and everything. I mean, literally, yeah. it's twenty twenty one. Didn't have to swing. And that we're many still times. seeing that scene every year. And then Ra- Razor's horrible. selling was so much better than guys oh, that are better wrestlers. Absolutely, there's so many better. Like actual like ring technicians that don't didn't never that forget to sell halfway through an injury, and he did it so well throughout it. It's hard to pick. I'm going to because of the it's like well when Bret Hart's on the show, it's kind of almost always Bret Hart, and when Shawn Michaels on the show, it's kind of always always Shawn Michaels. I'm gonna give it to Jeff Jarrett because what a way to start the show. There's, I don't think there's a wrong answer. There really isn't. Like, yeah, if you were to say Tatanka, like, that's a wrong answer. <laughs> if you were to say Bam Bam, it would be a weird answer. But, like, even Diesel and Ramon put in some of the best work, probably, yeah. of their goddamn careers, honestly. Yep. Yep. How about most surprising? That the Rumble was so full of jobbers, because, like, who is in the company now? And then it started, and I was like, oh. Ooh. Ooh, okay. Yep. But... Yeah. When it comes down to it, the most surprising thing was that they booked it as well as they did. With They dropped it down to 60 seconds, they got people in and out, and it didn't drag, because it could have. Mm-hmm. 
most surprising thing for me is that it was they let Davy Boy be in there at the end as well. It's number one and number two. Instead of Lex, Lex end. could have been number two. That I mean, whenever they did, but Davy Boy's a better wrestler. When they did Lex, the interview with Lex, I totally expected it to be Lex at the end again, just because, you know, that's that's their Hulk Hogan. They've been, yeah, yeah they've. I mean, they've been. Tr- that, you know, um, he's done playing around or whatever. So but they've been a challenger. They've been trying Lex for a couple of years now, off and on, and it's just like I mean, oh, we know it we, doesn't work. Yeah, mm-hmm. but do they realize it doesn't work? Yeah, you know when Lex works best. In nineteen eighty, yeah, or in nineteen eighty nine with like Flair, WCW. Yeah, in nineteen eighty nine, where Ric Flair has one of the best years of wrestling that's ever existed. When he's a U.S. <laughs> champ and not a world champ. Yeah. Yes. Most, around surprising, right? Yeah. Who the fuck is Aldo Mundo? And I like when Aldo Mundo is like, and I was like, who the fuck is this? But I said that a lot of times. I'll take your most disappointing and make it my most surprising that Owen didn't get just a little pinch more in the Rumble, but yeah. it's. We kind of like it's all for storyline purpose, yeah, in a more interesting way. And honestly, that's kind of the biggest thing that they didn't do right because I feel like they did everything really kind of right for their, like I said, for their logic. This isn't Jim Crockett Promotions. Like, this is different. This is WWF. And now for a look back even further into the history of wrestling. The dusty finish. Ronnie Garvin and Ric Flair had been feuding for the past few months over the Nature Boy's lust for Precious, Garvin's manager. They had traded victories, with Garvin usually winning in non-title matches and with DQs in the title ones. But the man with the hands of stone had succeeded in September of 1987. The two men had a rematch set for Starcade 1987, November 26th in Chicago, Illinois, where Garvin had the early advantage using the Garvin Stomp. But after a low blow, Flair had started working the leg to set up the figure four. But Ronnie would escape and fight back, sending the Nature Boy into the cage and locking on a figure four of his own. Oh my god. Ultimately, Flair would catch Garvin going for a Thez press and hot-shotting him right into the cage, knocking Ronnie out for the pin. Flair would begin his sixth reign of the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship and would hold onto the title for over a year until he would meet perhaps his greatest challenge right back in Chicago. (sighs) Next week... Hardcore TV from January 31st, 1995. All right, Hardcore TV. So it's like, okay, well, who could possibly be on this show? What what title will change? I'm interested because I do not know. Is there a title change? There could be a title change or maybe uh, somebody shows up. I don't know. It could. Um, maybe it's just a really good episode. I have to really quickly say Orlando. It's not in Philly. Really? It's Orlando. It's in Orlando. Whoa! Wow! Whoa. I didn't know ECW. I didn't know ECW left the territory. Yeah, they uh, I didn't realize that they did it for like hardcore TV in '95. Wow! Good for them. They had to film somewhere. Oh, that's cool. Also, great job with well, your dusty finish, man. I miss those. To my friend, uh, old Paul E. If you're listening, thanks. Ah. I don't have to go to Philly. Uh-huh. <laughs> At least not next week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
The um, I mean, man. it's Florida still, so I mean, we're in the same spot again as I am this week. But hey, not exactly because we're in a different town. Yeah. What year does Ronnie Garvin take the fireball from Jim Cornette? Okay, just curious. Mm. I don't remember. I don't know. I, don't know. Just, I was thinking about it. I'm about Ronnie Garvin. I was thinking about that. I'm like, when was that? I guess probably, maybe be right after uh, he lost that title. The flair would make sense. Has he already dressed up as a woman? Yes. Okay. He was already Miss Atlanta Lively. Okay. Uh, okay. So maybe it was right before, but Jim Cornette being part of NWA is more of a like mid to late 80s thing so you know yeah. it's cool but you know it's just nice when you talk about Ric Flair in the 80s get excited music from this week's show is Beach Party by Steve Vouse and Sexy Boy version 3 Woo! by Jimmy Hart and Jimmy McGuire I mean you know what a tune if you like this episode or any of our other ones go out there rate and review us on iTunes Stitcher Google Play or wherever you find your podcasts at you can always email us any questions, comments, concerns. Recipes. We're going to Orlando, so uh, send me some ideas. Do you have any silly takes about World Rumble 95 that we can debunk? <laughs> silly takes? Well, yeah, like the ones that you brought up. Right? Any conspiracy theories? Some, some, you know, when people are rebooking it, they're like, oh, you know, Taker should have been in the Rumble. It's not no, absolutely not. I mean, what if they just did a two and a half hour one? Royal Rumble and just put all of the good people in it. How about that stinks? <laughs> no one wants that. <laughs> no, absolutely no. not. But you can send those emails about that hot take or anything else to WrestlingHistoryX at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter at WrestlingHistoX. That's Wrestling H-I-S-T-O-X. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>